Hercule Poirot speaks. There's which now is how I'm answering the phone all the time. <laughs> Mark Bell speaks. Yeah. Those telemarketers are going to be really confused. It's Spooktober. Spooktober. My favorite month of the year. It's the best month of the year. Yeah, it is. It is so fantastic. As we sit here in the room, the office where we record in our house, we have windows that face out into the street, and we are seeing what we call slow rollers who drive up the hill, and then they roll real slow by in their cars to look at our decorations out front. And I'd say maybe half of them are out right now. Yes. <laughs> and already we have we've got... lots of decorations to put out this afternoon. <laughs> as soon as we're done recording, yes. guess what we're going to go do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mystery Maniacs is a Comedy recap podcast dedicated to British mystery TV. Yay! Each week we dig into the episode of different shows, including the murders, the mayhems, the loonies, and everything else we love. This week we are covering for Spooktober Poirot Halloween party. Don't you mean Halloween? <laughs> it's really hard to search for yeah. unless you put that apostrophe in. Halloween. <laughs> party i'm mark i'm sarah hey everybody including my friend robert mentioned again that we have a, a listener in bloomington we have a couple yep. in bloomington here yep. in town first of all if you're a listener in bloomington duh contact us let us know b come by the house and like see our decorations yeah yeah absolutely uh just a reminder that we do have some new Swag in the store, including a new Sister Boniface conspiracy design that you can get on a shirt. Which bag. you would have seen first if you were in the mailing list, and included also in the mailing list was a link to the survey for the listener's choice episode. Yes. And that will be on October 22nd. Yes. Live. Live. We're doing a live episode on October 22nd. It's a Saturday. It'll I, be 2 p.m. Eastern, right? I will be in costume for sure. I don't know about Sarah, but I'm going to be dressed up. Okay. So. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. <laughs> How can I say that I love Halloween, live for Halloween all year round, and oh, then not dress up for love a Love Halloween. And we will love doing that Halloween episode with you. Yes. We also would love to feature your decorations or costumes, too. So send them to us, and we'll put them in the in the show. Yeah. Definitely. And, uh, well, a lot of people won't have done it by then. They, yeah. they, people, Some people only celebrate Halloween, like, on Halloween. I know. <laughs> You're crazy. Crazy. But send them to us anyway, and we'll we'll still feature them in November. We'll share them. Yes, and that survey will be available for everybody, including the people who are not on the mailing list. Right. It's Where okay. can they find it? On all the socials, right? On all the socials, plus in the show notes for this episode. So you can let us know what you want us to cover on the 22nd. What episode of what show? Participate in the survey. The newsletter people have already been very vocal. Oh, my it's gosh, awesome. yeah. <laughs> They're all over it. Okay, are we ready? Yes. So this was originally broadcast on the 27th of October, 2010, which is one of our first Halloweens here. Yes. But we didn't decorate that year. No, that was the first year. 
Yeah. And then after that. Absolutely. Directed by Charlie Palmer and written by the Mark Gaddis. Yes. I don't know if there's a person more into Halloween than us, except for Mark Gaddis. Maybe Guillermo del Toro. Maybe. Elvira. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but we're, we're up there. Yeah. Mark Gaddis is so awesome. If you don't know who he is, oh my gosh, what hasn't he done? He's written, he's written a bunch of Doctor Who's. He's written, uh, he wrote Sherlock. He's living his dream life. Yeah. And he's in Sherlock. He's Minecraft. Right. Yeah. He's, he's kind of straddles comedy and mystery and horror. He was the in the Sword of Guillaume. Yes. In, in the Midsummer episode. Yep. And surprise, his husband is in this episode. Yes, his husband is in this episode. Oh, I was ep- going to ask you to guess who he was. No, I know. But you know who yeah. he is. Yep. The actor Ian Hallard, who plays Edmund Drake. Yes. The, the son of the horrible Rowena. Rowena. He plays the son in the in the round glasses, always reading the, the book. The book reading son. Yeah. Yes. He's married to Mark Gaddis. Has been since 2008, which is before this. Yep. And they've been together since 1998. So quite a Well, while. I have absolutely no doubt that Mark Gaddis was all over this production when it was being done. Oh, he, he didn't just write it and turn it in and walk away. <laughs> no, because he starts directing stuff soon after this, too. Mm-hmm. And Ian he Howard. Is a, he is an excellent horror movie and horror trope special series. Yes. Um, that I'll put a link in the in the show notes for that. It's really fun. Brilliant. Uh, And you can tell he's not just like a bloody horror movie kind of guy. He likes mysteries and he likes classics. Yep. So it's ghosts. He really likes ghosts. So if you don't like gory stuff, you don't have to worry about it. It's still a mini series that you should definitely watch. But without a doubt raised on hammer movies. Oh yeah. So Ian Hallard, who is his husband and plays Edmund Drake in this, yep. he wrote the screenplay for The Big Four. With Mark Gaddis. With the, Mark Gaddis. They pretty well and did the, it together. And The Big Four is a really good episode, That's a too, fantastic episode. Of Poirot, yeah. yeah. I have to say, just even if this wasn't a Halloween episode, which is just mwah, icing on the cake, yep. I love any episode of Poirot where Ariadne is in it. Yes, Ariadne, is, Zoe Wanamaker, first of all, when, like, I don't know what came first, but they must have been like, we need to get Zoe Wanamaker. You know, she's American. Yes, I do know she's American. I mean, she's been in England for the great majority of her life. But but, but they must have started with, if we can't get Zoe Wanamaker, who are we going to get? Maybe we don't do Ariadne. I'm a little worried that Christy was like, oh, that's Zoe Wanamaker. She's a pretty good actress. <laughs> I should put her characters in my book. I just, I love Ariadne's character. I mean, she's a little bit of Agatha Christie in the stories, right? It's a little yep. bit of of kind of poking at herself and at other mystery writers, because Ariadne writes the mysteries with Finn Herson. Is this fantastic device of exposition. Is his first name Finn? No. Finn. He, he is, is a, a Finn, Finn, but his last name's Sven. Sven Herson. Yes. And in this... In this story, she's in the middle of editing her next novel, which is All Huff and All Puff, where Sven <laughs> is in a hot air balloon solving a mystery. Over Abyssinia, which is Ethiopia. <laughs> the murderer has been in the hot air balloon the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know there are bigger hot air balloons that, that can carry more than four or five people, but like Max, it's like 10. I'm absolutely <laughs> I'm convinced that Christy had a file of Bad book ideas and bad names yeah. of books. And she used them and for she Ariadne. she used them for the Ariadne stuff. Because <laughs> almost every story that Ariadne's in, she mentions what she's writing and how she's written herself into a corner, basically. Yeah. 
and that she hates Sven so much. She's sorry that she started him. And I think Christy sometimes felt that way about Poirot, too. People loved him way more than she did. Now, I didn't realize how late this book is. Yes. This is 69 when this book comes out. Yes. In my lifetime. Now, I'm just a wee little bird. Yeah. But... The fact that there are lesbians in this story, who yes. I mean, and it's not just ladies who live together. Like, it's clear that Miss Whitaker and the other lady had a relationship, and she's not really trying to hide it all that much. And the word lesbian is actually used in the story. Yeah. That's very, even for the 1960s, for this genre, very forward thinking. It's kind of weird because they set this story in the 30s. Also, so it's kind of awkward here, kind of unrealistic anachronistic but, almost wanted, but, it's a, but it's cool i'm glad they did it i almost want to also do a show of strange people who play organ in church <laughs> now she's not strange i'm no. sorry unexpected unexpected organists. <laughs> organists in church are very rarely married first of all mm, because your, your dedication is to the organ yes <laughs> Strangely enough, in the church that I grew up in, which actually turns 200 years ago, yeah. 200 years last Sunday, it was its oh, anniversary. Wow. The woman who played organ when I went to church there, big horn rim glasses. Old spinster. Lived with her mom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, we haven't said this yet. We spoil. Yeah. So if you haven't watched Halloween Party or read it, you don't know who the murderer is. Uh, go uh, You want to turn it off because we're going to give it away. You need to go watch it. Unapologetically. It is. There is a couple of really fantastic scenes because of oh, it. Oh, there's twists. Yeah. If you don't know who the killer yeah. is, don't don't ruin it for yourself by listening so to this So we start first. with Ariadne on a dark and stormy night. Just like it is so easy to go over the top with dark and stormy, and they never do here. No, it's perfect. It, it is really well filmed. Rowena if, Drake is throwing a Halloween party for the kids in the village, though she doesn't have any young kids. Yeah, I don't understand why the children are there. But it's weird. Charlie Palmer does such a good job directing this episode. Mm -hmm. Like, I could almost think he's done so much. Oh, the set decoration is amazing, too. And he has done so much, but nothing as good as this. Mm. I think he can go to bed at night going, I did that. I did Halloween party. Yep, (laughs) I did Halloween party. No, I said Halloween party. Party. (laughs) The house is perfect. It's... It's of the period. It's got all of the like Morris wallpaper and everything. It's beautiful. And then the crepe paper and the pumpkins everywhere and the fire and just it's awesome. And Rowena Drake, who was our murderess, Mm -hmm. sort of. It's a paired murder. She's played by Deborah Finley, who was in two Midsummers. She was in Murder by Magic and Blue Herrings. Okay. But she is a striking woman. I love her. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love her. She's a great actress. And she is so so hateable instantaneously oh yes and there is a moment where she talks about leopold in the library where you almost the first time i saw this i think i felt sorry for her Mm -hmm. and then (laughs) you realize that she is loony mctoony yeah she has this great balance of being super snobby you know lady of the manor richest person in town and knows it and altruistic because She's like throwing the party for the village kids so they have a good time. And she seems to do kind things for people. She has this giant, beautiful garden that yep. is open to the public for anybody to come and see. Yep. So you can't you can't 
totally dislike her. You can think I don't want to hang out with her, but and she's her not kids a bad person. Are horrible. Oh like, my gosh. What did she wanna, do wrong? Yeah. Francis. She quotes Marvell here. She goes, Tom's winged what's it? <laughs> so it's a Marvell quote because it's actually, but at my back, I always hear Time's winged chariot hurrying near. Mm. And what that, so it's from to his coy mistress. This is one of the greatest uh, baby. We need to be doing the, the sexy sex. <laughs> Why are you old, not a man? Of all time. Yeah. <laughs> it gets so, it, it says, there's a line at the end of this stanza that is basically, I know there's, uh, I know the grave is private and quiet, but I don't think anybody ha- has sex in the grave. So let's find another place that's quiet and private. Well, or, or you know, it, it's going to be too late. Yeah. We're both going to be yeah, dead. Th- this whole I thing. I could die tomorrow. This whole thing is <laughs> we need to have sex now because I could die like Tomorrow. This is Andrew Marvel's Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) They're the same story. Miranda can't come to the party, though. If Miranda doesn't have a cold, does this episode happen? No. Well, no, she just dies, basically. (laughs) Well, no, I don't think Miranda would say anything at the party. No. Well... Yeah, then maybe they wouldn't have to kill her. I don't know. That's a good question. Let's talk about that at the end because okay. I've got a couple of those. So okay, so let's just let's just give the 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 basics here, right? We've got the Drakes, Rowena yes. Drake, Lady of the Manor, and her two kids, yes. Francis and Edmund, who are both grown up adults. Yes. Um, they're at the party, right? And then you have the Butlers. So that's Judith Butler. And Miranda Butler is her daughter, and she's the one who's not there. So she's Judith sick. is there she's, to help. She's at home reading Vinegar and Brown Paper, a book by Ariadne Oliver. <laughs> yes. Vinegar and Brown Paper, do you know what that is, references? No. It's actually a, uh, it was a cure-all or a um, something to help bruising or cuts. Oh, so it's like a poultice? Yeah. Instead of putting a steak on your eye, you put vinegar-soaked brown paper on it? Vinegar-soaked brown paper. Okay, so we've got the Drakes and the Butlers. Yep. And then there's the Reynolds. So the Reynolds is Mrs. Reynolds, who never gets a first name, and her stepchildren, Joyce and Leopold, who are both at the party. Yes. She is dressed as a bumblebee, and he's what, a greaser? I guess. I don't know what he's supposed oh, to no, be. Oh, no, he has a mask. He's He has a green man mask. Oh, okay. Okay. Not the green man mask at the end. No. Where, no. where this episode suddenly turns folk horror. Yes. By the way, have have you seen the folk horror YouTube video from our our favorite redheaded cat, uh, comedian in England? No. It, it was Alistair Beckett King. Beckett King released it this week. I'll put a link in the show notes to it. He's it very funny. Fantastic. He's very funny. It is okay. it is folk horror perfectly, and it's a good thing for us to watch before Pale Horse next week yeah. because it's it is Pale Horse. <laughs> oh, he has seen every oh, every yeah. Poirot, every Agatha Christie, everything. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so we've got the Drakes, the Butlers, the Reynolds, and then we have the Vicar, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I lost him on my list. Where is he? Okay, the Vicar, who is Reverend Cottrell, who of course is Timothy West, who is the, like okay. We could do an entire hour on how much we love Timothy West and yes. the West family. If you haven't seen it, there is uh, there's a couple series. Four series, I think. Of Timothy West and his wife, who's also an actress whose name I forget right now, on a narrow boat, on a canal boat together. Which they used to do all the time as a family. 
And it, she is, I think she's got a little bit of Alzheimer's, early Alzheimer's. Yeah. And so they decided she is a to go and do one last, actress. one last couple of journeys and on their And their son boat. is Simon West, who you know from all sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, you know he was. And they have another son who's not famous and yeah. in France. <laughs> but wow, it is the sweetest, oh. most sincere couple of old people who love each other on a boat. The, the thing that affects me most about the Timothy West on a boat as an old person show is he gets angry with himself and her. And I know exactly what he's feeling when mm-hmm. he gets angry. Mm-hmm. He gets, he, he immediately feels bad. Oh, and you could see before it it's right out of his away. mouth. He's right sorry away. because he knows that she can't do as much as she used to, and he's expecting too much from her. Yeah, and so he's sorry that oh. he snaps at and her. Just great parents and great people. Yeah, and, you got to watch it anyway. Yeah. Okay, can I just get through who yes. the basic people yes. are here? Can, the can basic we just get people. this squared away? Okay. Yes. All right, we've got the Drakes, who are the rich people, jerks all of them. The Butlers. Then we've got the Reynolds, who, man, Mrs. Reynolds is the most unfortunate person ever and she's a little looney tune because of it we'll talk yep. about it mrs goodbody who's the the who's, local she's in the bond movie right no oh um <laughs> but she was in an episode of midsummer yes uh, oh, oh yeah she was but her character's name is right out of yes. ian fleming <laughs> mrs goodbody no, no she's the her we keep getting sidetracked here but she's supposed to be a witch so she's goody body yes yep Exactly. Then we've got Michael Garfield. Yes. Who is Julian Ryan Tut. Who is... <laughs> There's just everybody in this episode and they're all fantastic. Yes. Julian Ryan Tut is just... He's epic the, in this. The last five minutes of this episode, he deserves a BAFTA for <laughs> Something. Because... How everyone in the room doesn't punch him in the face. Oh my gosh. You just... Mwah, want to. Including... And we'll get to this. Action Poro. But he's also in that Miss Marple where he plays the newt scientist or. Yes, from Calgary. Yeah, from Calgary. Uh, He's not a bad guy. He's just a really good actor. If you've never seen The Wipers Times, it's a 2013 movie about um, troop British troops in World War II who published a newspaper. Yeah, it it, it's there in Ypres in France, but they call it wipers. Yes. It's fantastic. He also narrates all of the new Sophie Hanna Poirot books. Oh, he is such a good voice. And he does a great job with Poirot's accent without sounding stupid. So there's a new Agatha Christie book of of Miss Marple stories. Does Sophie write one of those? I don't know. I know she she writes the new Poirots and they're really they're really good. They're not Agatha Christie. Nope. But they are good. But there is a new book of Miss Marple's just came out. It's all yes. Miss Marble stories. So that's that's the the basic kind of cast of, of characters here, right? So we're at this party, and boy, Rowena has the whole thing choreographed to the last minute. She's got activity after activity after activity. Now get out. And her son has no interest in it because he's reading Edgar Allan Poe. He's reading Usher. Yeah, well, yeah. he's fantasizing about bricking his sister up in a yeah, wall. I think so. <laughs> They're all kind of horrible. So. They are. He's the least offensive of the whole family just because he doesn't say a whole lot. Yeah. He just says, yes, mommy, <laughs> or yes, mother. Well, we'll get to their lot in life after mm. after the credits is interesting It's going to be troublesome. Yep. Scott of the Antarctic is mentioned. Do you know who that, who that is? Who mentions him? 
Um, in what context? Butler mentions him when she's talking to. Um, oh no, it's Miss Whitaker when she's talking oh, yes. to the vicar and yes. talking about how the church is so cold it's and how she, so, he's probably bundled up like Scott, Scott of the Antarctic her. under yes. his cassock. Yes. <laughs> it's all right for you. Which is one of the oh, poor Scott of the Antarctic. He got to the South Pole three weeks late. Yeah, <laughs> three weeks he missed it. And then being dot, everybody died yes. on the way back. Yes. The church is St. Wolfric, which is Wolfric of Hasselberry, which is a weird kind of thing, I guess. St. Wolfric just doesn't sound yeah. wholesome. <laughs> Meanwhile, Poirot is listening to spooky radio because well, George, his manservant, wants to listen to it. But then Poirot's like, no. Hey, we need a voice for the radio. Who are we going to get? Uh, Mark, Mark Gaddis. Because <laughs> he's here yeah. with his husband. Sticks his hand up and says, I wrote it, so I get to do that part. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't know what It's some says. little creepy thing that he wrote he just for it. Just, about eyeballs yep. and stuff. <laughs> it's great. It's it's gory enough that you understand why Poirot doesn't like it. Yeah. And, his, and why George thinks and it's George fun. George thinks it's fun. But it's not... Like super gory. It's not slashery. Well, it wouldn't be. It yeah. wouldn't be on the radio if it was. They had very tight standards then yeah. about what you could get away with. Let's talk about Joyce. Okay. The little I have chubby a bumblebee girl. About Joyce, the chubby bumblebee girl. Okay. How old do you think she is at this point? The actress? Yes. 16. She's 21. Whoa. Yes. She was born Are in you 1988. Kidding? She looks 13. Yeah. Now, granted, we can't see most of her because she's got a bumblebee costume on. Yep. But no wonder she's so good. She is fantastic. She's currently on stage doing a Tom Stoppard play about Jewish uh, program ghettos. Wow, that's heavy. Yeah, it's pretty heavy. She's she, Maybe she'd rather be a bumblebee for a little bit as a break. <laughs> a great. She is so fantastic in this. Yeah. In telling everybody a story and making, she knows those people who lie. Yeah. And it's a cadence in her voice and it's a way she breathes. And it's just. As so, a parent, you ought, you know, she's fibbing. You can tell. And then. And like, as, so as an actress, she's, she's doing a really good job. And in a Robert Altman way, she is like. Like there are multiple conversations going on at once, mm-hmm. but she's not featured, but it, she's it's shown tr- that she's, she's struggling so to get the attention of yeah. the room. Oh, it's just, it's just brilliant. She says, I saw a murder. Yep. And if people hadn't went, no, you didn't liar, whatever. Yep. She probably wouldn't have said much more, no. but once they challenge her, then she, she wants to be important. And I, I think she's supposed to be about 14 maybe. Yeah. So she's just at that age where she really wants adults to listen to her. Yeah. She wants to, to be in their conversations and she wants to impress them and it doesn't happen. And later on, just stunning dead body. And if you're watching it, you're like, Joyce, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. And then she says one more thing. Well, I didn't know it was a murder. Like, shut up. <laughs> Girlfriend, this Ro- is going to get you in trouble. Rowena is taking Zip notes it. in the background. Mm-hmm. She's like, mm, I'm going to kill you later. Yep. <laughs> you're you're out of your joints. And they're bobbing for apples. Have you ever done that? Yes, it's really hard. I don't know why anybody would want to. It has a whole tradition in that, first of all, it is a UK thing. I thought it was an early British colonial thing. Okay. Which, when I say it, of course it's a British thing. Yeah. Then, because early British, early colonial. We're British. We're British. Yeah. More on early colonial later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Um, 
but it usually had more to do with partners. Like they used to put names on the apples and you. So not only were you trying to bob for an apple, but you wanted to get the right one. And if you didn't, and you took the bite out of the apple and you put it under your pillow. And if you dreamed of that person, it meant they were your soulmate. <laughs> because weird. you took a bite out of them. This is the weirdest thing. All I have to but say not is not the weirdest thing in that article. Oh, we'll get to ap- that. Apple bobbing is obviously pre pre ultra modern because no woman who wears makeup and has bangs ever wants to apple bob. No, I have never bobbed for apples because nobody asked me to before I was old enough to actually care what I look like. And since then, there's no way I'm putting my face in a big bu- bucket of water at a party. Unless you're first, you're putting your mouth on apples that other people have tried to put yeah. their mouth on. And the water's always cold and half gross. Of, and half of that bucket's got to be spit after yep. a while. No, thank you. I don't want to do that. Well, let's move on to a more dangerous game, Snapdragon. Oh, my gosh. I see those kids playing it, and they've got, like, sleeves and stuff. I'm thinking, okay, how many of them are going to burn? <laughs> Most of them are going to burn. Just going to burn. I I understand at Christmas, brandy on fire would smell really nice and and raisins. And somebody says, don't you usually do this at Christmas? Christmas, But uh, nobody drinks. We do it at Halloween because I'm Rowena and I'm constantly stuffed up or something. Um, She has beady eyes, too. She does. It's it's what makes her just look kind of psychopathic. Anyway, so you soak raisins and brandy, you put them in a shallow dish, you light the thing on fire, and then you say, hey kids, I'm going to turn out the lights. Try to grab as many raisins as you can. First of all, raisins. Ick. <laughs> they didn't always do it with raisins. Yeah. Sometimes it was other fruit. Okay. And the idea like was that- Like a pineapple? <laughs> no. <laughs> like currants. This kid or- trying to stuff a burning <laughs> pineapple in his mouth. That'd be a big bowl of brandy, too. Yep. But it probably would taste pretty good. Yes. Well, if it's peeled, you'd yeah. have to cut it up yeah. anyway. Into yeah. chunks. Now I want chunks with brandy on. <laughs> It'd be pineapple rings, and you go yep. flu, 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 around <laughs> your finger. The idea is that when they're still on fire when you put them in your mouth, and that's why you're a dragon, because you have fire in your oh. mouth. Okay, and they say a rhyme here. Now, there is a callback here, because they say the Snapdragon rhyme, and then it's played throughout the episode in exactly the same way that Buckle My Shoe is played in the earlier Poirot. Yeah, the, the children's like rhymes. That's a- Agatha Christie liked making children's games and rhymes sound dark. Because a lot of them are. Yeah, indeed they are. Ring around the rosy. Yep. Look it up. Okay, do you want to hear the Snapdragon Pl- rhyme here? Do the whole Snapdragon rhyme. This is a dramatic reading of the Snapdragon game. Yeah, here we go. Okay. Here he comes with flaming bowl. Don't he mean to take his toll? Snip, snap, dragon. Take care you don't take too much. Be not greedy in your clutch. Snip, snap, dragon. With his blue and lapping tongue, many of you will be stung. Snip, snap, dragon. For he snaps at all that comes, snatching at his feast of plums. Snip, snap, dragon. But old Christmas makes him come, though he looks so fee-fa-fum. Snip, snap, dragon. Don't ye fear him, but be bold. Out he goes, his flames are cold. Snip, snap, dragon. 
they don't do the last two. Yeah. In the in the episode, because uh, that's where it gets Christmassy. Yeah. Um, but the idea is that you have to you have to snatch if you try to get more than one. You're probably going to get burned. Well, you're more likely to get burned. You're probably going to get burned anyway. You're going to get burned. Uh, you're going to get burned more. So the idea is you you take one. None of the kids in the episode is actually doing any of that. No. They're pretending to. And Nobody has a raisin in their hands. And what's great is this is such a great device because everyone would be centered on that activity in that room and it has to be dark. Yeah. It's perfect. The kids are trying to snap up the raisins and the adults are going, Please don't catch fire. Please don't burn to death. Now, somebody should be standing by with the apple water bucket to put a child out when they go screaming on fire. Let me quote from you from the history of apple bobbing from the History Channel website. Mm. There is, uh, comparatively, apple bobbing is a safe tradition compared to other apple-centric Halloween pastimes, including snap apple. Apples on fire? Worse. In the game of snap apple, which is obviously a mixture of these two things, an apple was speared at one end on a stick while a lit candle was fixed at the other end. Okay. The stick was spun around and participants' goal was to take a bite of the apple, avoiding a face full of hot candle wax. Wait a minute, it's spinning around how? Somebody in the middle is spinning it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> now I did read an alternate version of Snapdragon where you have a glass of flaming brandy and you have to drink it without getting burnt or you have a goblet of something and there's a, a lit candle floating in it and you have to drink it without yeah. uh, catching your face on fire. This article ends with definitely not a game for children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least it's not, can I shoot an apple off your head with an arrow? Game. It all is related. Yeah. Luckily, the Jehovah, Jehovah Witnesses show up. No. No. Scary, bangy stuff, and Mrs. Goodbody shows up. The highlight of the party, as far as I'm concerned. I agree. She totally is dressed as a witch and is playing a witch. But she's an anachronism, because she's green. Yeah. And she shouldn't be. She shouldn't be. Not in the 30s, she shouldn't be green. No. Nope. Witches weren't green before Wizard of Oz. It's just, yeah. it's just true. They just weren't. But I don't think this is a 30s. But Poirot. it is. No, this is an after the war Poirot. Okay. So when was Wizard of Oz released? Because all the other ones are set in the 30s. No, it, it's after. He's a little bit older. So this is after World War II. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it is. Because some of the books reference. I always need to see a card and know 39. for sure. 39. Is, so, so she's not an anachronism. But she's on the cusp of it wait a minute you got to tell me when wizard of oz came out 39 oh and this episode is after the war okay okay mm. so then when judith butler says her husband died in the war she's talking about world war one right it would have to be because she's saying that miranda's dad died yeah. in the war because miranda's 16 at least maybe? yeah I love that Ariadne calls Poirot when he's in bed. And he answers. Yes. <laughs> I'm amazed that he answers, except I'm kind of not, like, I would think he he would answer it because he's curious and he needs to know who's calling him. And he him. knows if someone's phoning him in the middle of it's the night. It's important. It's important. But I would expect him to answer it and go, who calls at this time of night? Yes. You know. But no. No, he no. Says, 
Hercule Poirot speaks. That is which is how I'm answering the phone all the time. <laughs> Mark Bell speaks. Yeah. Those telemarketers are going to be really confused. <laughs> we got to get past the party. We got so much. Okay. One last thing with Joyce the party. Joyce dies, by the way. <laughs> Joyce dies. One. Well, one last thing with Joyce dying. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there are sitting around and they're like who's gonna find the body this maid out of nowhere who yes appears nowhere else she, her name episode. gets hollered a little bit earlier yep <laughs> uh after rowena drops the vase so i have in my head this bizarre idea that it's it mark has- gaddis <laughs> in the maid outfit. <laughs> no in the long tradition of british murder shows it has to be somebody related to being a cleaning lady who finds yes. the body she comes in and Joyce is face down. Such a good in dead the body. Bucket. She is all the all the dead bodies, especially the water dead bodies, the, are fantastic. The camera angle up to her face yes. is perfect. Yeah. It's just so well done. And you know, that may be why they needed an older actress who could look younger, because yeah. the rules might be you can't do that with a little kid. Yeah. Right? I think so. With somebody who's a minor. Julian? But her little fat bee body hanging out of that bucket. Oh. It just oh. Just, it's a child who has been murdered. Yes. And that is like crossing a line. Oh, and Poirot is mad about it. Yes. On the train. Even though the newspaper only gives her like two inches. Yes. Well, it's just recently happened. So, you know, they didn't have time to stop the presses, I guess. So this scene in the train car with... The water dripping off of her antenna. Oh, it's so good. It's heartbreaking. Julian Tut in the car with Poirot. Mm, in the train car, yes. Yes. Now, he plays a gardener. Yeah. But he's really a garden architect. Yeah. Supposedly. He's a designer. And he's definitely bohemian. Mm-hmm. He is. There a is, little bit itinerant. I don't think there are two characters in any Poirot that have a scene together that are more different than him and Poirot. Right. This is exact opposite. He claims to be coming from Athens. Yes. And hasn't been to Woodley Common in a while. Yes. And he's returning. Why does he come back? Well, supposedly or really? Supposedly or really. You know, supposedly he just can't stay away from his best garden. Really, because he needs to go stir some shit up and he's probably out of money. Yeah. Now, his alibi is that... He was in London to get on the train yep. the night before, so he could not have been in Woodley Common. However, he's clearly on the train to pick Poirot's brain, right? Because the whole village knows he's coming. Yeah. So he, when he, Poirot says who he is, Julian Tutt is such a good actor because there is a moment where he's like, not panicking, but he's like, okay, I need to do some thinking here. So you think that Garfield is on the train with Poirot sheerly by chance? I think so. See, I think he went to London to get on the train to come back with Poirot. Because Rowena said, you go go to London because... You need to be on the train in the morning. Because uh, Ariadne would be like, okay, everybody, Poirot's coming in the morning. He's going to be on the 7 a.m. train. He's coming. It doesn't show who's going to be, who's in the car first. It doesn't show that. Oh, Poirot is in it. And then he comes in. He comes in so that and supports, flops down. Yeah, it supports your idea. I, I think that he was outside the house the night before. Yeah. I think he was there. And... When you say that Jehovah's Witness is is Mrs. Goodbody and then there's yeah. another sound outside, I think that's him. Yeah. 
I can I can buy that. I think he's there. Poirot shows up. I am the greatest detective in the entire world. Well, meanwhile, <laughs> you know, the Drakes are just burning everything from the party. Who Why does that? Are they burning everything from the party. If you live in the country, you don't throw things in the trash. You just burn everything. And the inspector, even though completely clueless, would in this be like, episode, wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. You don't whoa. just burn stuff. Never mind the fact that the carpet is still wet. It wouldn't be wet. Uh, it probably would uh, be. It's Poirot a, doesn't get there till late afternoon. She flailed a lot. I guess. That's a lot of water. Speaking of the inspector, Raglan. Uh, inspector Raglan. Played by Paul Thornley. He was in Two Midsummers where he played a sergeant. Yeah, he's a recurring he's, character. He's Sergeant he, Gill. He's super good. He's very I good like in this. Him. He's and there's a lunatic who did it. That's why it's okay to burn everything. Though he's kind of like, it was a lunatic. I don't think he actually believes it was a lunatic either. But he probably can't fathom that anybody at that party would have killed her. Yes. So it must be somebody from the outside. Though a lot of people have died in this town. <laughs> yeah, come to find out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not a big village. So this garden is actually a place called Hatfield House. All the interiors and everything is recorded there. Oh, okay. Which is just north of London. Are those topiary bushes real? Yes, they are. Are they actually the, shaped like that? Yes. Because they're amazing. John Tradescant, the elder. Oh, there's a younger. Is the creation, uh, creator of this garden. It's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Now, on his trips, he went all over the world, collected seeds and bulbs everywhere, and assembled a collection of curiosities and natural history. When did he do this? This was in the 16th century. Whoa, wait, what? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Wow. Housed in a large house he called the Ark. Nice. The there Ark were a lot of... Gentlemen scientists who did a lot of seed collecting back then. Yes. Uh, Cabinet of Curiosities, collection of rare and strange objects that eventually became the first museum opened to the public in England, which included things from the United States because he was friend to John Smith, one of the early governors in Mm -hmm. the New World, who sent him things. Nice. That's my connection back to colonial England. There you go. Colonial America. Hey, speaking of museums, can I I tell you something? Agatha Christie haunts a museum. What? Yeah. What? (laughs) It's hilarious. There's a museum in Torquay. When we get back to England and go to Torquay, like, we have to spend a weekend there. The There's Torquay, so much to see there. <laughs> the Torquay Museum is is run by volunteers, but it's it's an important, it's the oldest museum in Devon. Yeah. I'll just put it that way. Um, and it has a significant Agatha Christie collection. And uh, they have a poltergeist, and they think it's Agatha Christie. Oh. So in their gift shop, where they have a lot of books and pamphlets and small paperbacks and stuff, things fly off the shelves onto the floor. And they have it on CCTV. Oh, they do? We will link this. Okay, we'll link the CCTV video. And I won't tell you what to think. Okay. But when you watch it, I think it might be a little bit of PR. Might be a little PR. It might be a little bit staged. Might be. And I say that only because the people in the video who are there when it happens don't react the way they should. Now, I, I think they're a little pleased with themselves. We will include the link. You, you have to watch this video. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like, ooh. And then you're like, 
Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I love that the cat outside of Miss Goodbody's house hisses. Her cat is fantastic. I when I watched uh, I watched it for this just to prep. I've seen it many times. I thought, man, how did they get that fat black cat to sit there like that? I thought, did they glue that cat to that barrel? Like, because you know, I mean, we have a very docile cat who's yep. accommodating and will kind of do what you tell her to do. And she wouldn't do that. Yep. She wouldn't lay there, even if it was in the sun. But the way Poirot has to skirt around the cat to get into the house, like, he's not afraid of anything except maybe that cat. <laughs> and her name should not be Good Body. It should be Good Info. Yes. Mrs. I really good like info. her. She's fantastic. And she and Poirot are exactly the same. Yes. And she... Like, Poirot knows exactly how to manipulate her to get all the information. Well, and the thing is, is that though she's a charwoman and is a lower class than him, she's not deferential to him. No. They're peers. Yeah. She knows stuff. He wants to know it. She she dishes it. Sitting there with her little blanket on. He's got that beautiful little silver case for his notebook. What do you think of his handwriting? Gorgeous. He has a very good handwriting, very clear handwriting. Okay, Mrs. Good Information gives us everybody up. Beatrice White, who is the school teacher. The only person not killed yes. by Garfield and Rowena. <laughs> no, they say something at the end of the episode about that school teacher. They say something about her. I think they pestered her. Maybe. And they... Um, they put Mrs. Rowena put Mrs. Reynolds up to kind of running her out of the school and I that bet kind that. of upset and that may have driven her over the edge if she was already suicidal. But they didn't directly kill her like they did everyone else. Yes, including Leslie Ferrier, the yeah, clerk, the the lawyer's clerk, uh, Llew uh, Mrs. Llewellyn Smith, Smythe, Smythe, yes, who is the Drake's old aunt, yes, and. Her au pair. Old people have au pairs. Yeah, her opera girl. Yes. <laughs> Olga Semenov. Olga. I love how the vicar stuff is like, well, maybe you did wrong with him. And he just goes, uh, wrong with those girls. And he just goes, no, I didn't. No. And everyone believes him. Because he didn't. Because, also because it's Timothy. Yeah. You um, don't question Timothy West. Yeah. And so we hear all about that. And... We hear that there is like this. I love how everything is connected here. Mm -hmm. There are not red herrings. There are pieces yet to connect to the main story. Yeah. We're getting all the pieces, but we don't know what the picture looks like yet. So let's spoil this. Okay. The Drakes arrive in town. Their old aunt is sick and dying. Mm -hmm. The gardener falls in love with Rowena. Wow. Rowena falls Rowan, in love with him. Rowena falls in love with the, They come up with the plan to kill her husband. They kill Rowena's husband, mm -hmm. victim one. Mm -hmm. They drive over him with a car and the fantastic goggles. And blame it on teenagers. <laughs> why, why on earth uh, Julian Tut doesn't go <laughs> in the car after he drives him over? <laughs> I want to see the two of them in the reenactment in a car trying to look like teenagers. Yes. <laughs> 
I don't know, Billy. What do you want to do tonight? I don't know, Sally. Let's go for a drive. So they kill his husband. Her husband, Her yes. husband. And then they're going to kill the aunt. Yes. Because they're tired of waiting. They're impatient, greedy bastards. Yes. That's what they are. So... They decide to start poisoning her. Because mm-hmm. she has a weak heart already. But Olga figures out that that um, they had killed her husband. Yeah. How do you think Olga figures that out? I don't know. I think Olga and the gardener were doing it too. I don't think so. I think he goes after anything that has legs. I don't think she would have fallen for him, but I, he might have given himself away trying to woo her. I think that's what happened. Yes. So... They kill Olga. They kill the old lady. Mm-hmm. Then they kill the Clark after he fakes a note for them. Well, and, they have to because that, now he knows too much. And that note is brilliant yes. because they create, they have the real note they, and then they, they make create a, a copy forgery of it. That is a brilliant piece of work yes. right there. And they find out that he's a forger because he's the girl, the boyfriend of the younger daughter. Francis. And I'm sure that the mother heard that he had been a forger mm-hmm. and th- then they used him and then they killed him. Well, Rowena is the kind of person who would have somebody look into the history of anybody dating one of her kids. Yes. To make sure that they were on the up and up. So everybody who died in the last five years in this village was killed by Rowena or the gardener. Except for the school teacher who committed suicide. Who committed suicide. Can I tell you something about the, the lawyer and the clerk? What? So the lawyer... Mr. Fullerton. He's fantastic. He should be. He's played by Eric Sykes. Okay. This is Eric Sykes' last role. He died shortly after this. He is in everything. But my favorite credit of all of his credits is that he is the voiceover for the Teletubbies. Oh, that's right. He is. The happy voice that narrates everything. That's him. Wow. Every episode. Wow. That's fantastic. He's awesome. I I like him so much. I like the the lawyer so much. Too much in this episode. Let's talk about Mrs. Reynolds for just a second. Okay. So, yeah. So, Joyce is dead. Guess what? Leopold's going to die too, right? Yes. Because he saw what happened and they tried to blackmail him. They gave him a nice watch and some spending money. Um, but he's probably not the brightest. He's not got No, not at all. <laughs> and he didn't really like Joyce. Uh, he's not going to keep his mouth shut. No. Right. So Mrs. Reynolds, her husband has died. Yep. Uh, who she married. He already had two kids. Yep. Right. So these are her stepchildren. So her husband died, leaving her with two kids who aren't hers. Yep. She's raising them. Uh, One would assume that his first wife died. Yes. Farrier was her lodger. Yes. He gets stabbed, stabbed, stabbed. Right? So he dies. Everyone around her is dead. Then Joyce gets murdered. Yes. Then Leopold gets murdered. (laughs) So Mrs. Reynolds is all by herself. Yes. And the whole time she's just like, well, I guess it's what God wanted. Oh, I, I think the vicar even is tired of that excuse. Yeah. I think he's even like, that may be the case. But you should still be upset. Yeah. You can be sad about this. It's yeah. weird that you're just like, well, God calls his favorites back to him, I guess. Yeah. Oh, well. She's uh, Mrs. Reynolds is played by Sophie Thompson. Yeah. Um, who is Emma Thompson's sister. Yes. And the actress who plays, uh, Lydia Law, who plays uh, Llewellyn Smythe, the old aunt in this, is their mom. Yes. So she's in it with yep. her mom. Yeah. Though I don't think they're ever in a scene together, but they were both in Midsummers, by the way. Yes. She was in some Midsummer where she played a completely dopey lady. Yeah, she's good at that. 
On a little side note. Like this whole podcast has not been. But this is interesting. Not that other things haven't been interesting. (laughs) Unlike everything you've said, this is actually interesting. The book that Mrs. Llewellyn Smythe puts her codicil in is a book called Inquire Within Upon Everything. Oh. And it is a book of domestic tips, but it is complete. I can't. It's comprehensive. Okay. It's difficult to describe. I've been looking for a copy of this book since the first time I read this story, which is forever ago. Editions of it have been published from 1850s all the way to the 1990s. And I was looking for an older one. I wanted like, like turn of the century, like, like hers would have the era that hers would have been. If anybody has one, just send me a picture of it. Yeah. Because they're fantastic. Like, just the table of contents blows you away. It's better than Mrs. What's-Her-Face's book of of home housekeeping. Anyway, people will know what I'm talking about. If they like these kinds of books, they know what I'm talking about. To find that book for you for Christmas. Well, there you go. Put it on my list. So once Poirot understands that Joyce's story, because everybody says, oh, she's such a liar. It's, you almost get tired of hearing how Joyce was a liar. Like but that Tim, was the only characteristic she West had. But Timothy West is there at church he's because like, he's the vicar to tell that story. I, about, hate, I hate to say anything bad about somebody dead, but but girl sure did lie a lot. Yeah. <laughs> there was tigers and elephants and, and maharajas and everything else. And here's me giving a wonderful soliloquy about it. Yeah. So once they realized that not only is she a liar, but she borrowed stories from other people, she borrowed the story from Miranda, her best friend. So Miranda must be the one who saw a murder that she didn't know was a murder at the time. Yes. What is wrong with Miranda that she sees a man dragging a body and doesn't say anything about it? I want to shake her. Yeah. Her mom is like, and you didn't tell anybody? Oh, hug, hug, hug. Like, no, wait a minute. Let's just say from now on, okay, Miranda, from now on, if you see anybody, even me, your mom, anybody dragging a dead body, you tell somebody. It's clearly. Is that okay from now on? It's clearly a dead body. There's a hand hanging out of it. She knows it's a body. (laughs) She's, she's. She's not in any misunderstanding of he's. She's not like, oh, he was dragging a tree, you know, wrapped in in burlap. She knows it's a human corpse, and she doesn't tell anybody. <laughs> it's so funny when she says that. It was a sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you seem smart in every other way. Yep. How can you be so dumb? Well, and it's she's a story. Reading, she's reading. A Ariadne book, she would be like telling everybody. It is a story. This whole thing is a story of gullible women who fall prey to a man who is uber manipulative. Yes. I don't think Garfield is that effective. No. Oh, no, no, no. I do. Garfield is the best kind of Lothario because he is good looking, but he talks the talk. And he's non-threatening because is, he's not wealthy or that, fancy. That he is, he is the most dangerous kind of man. I don't think you could, if you were that kind of Lothario, that you would be as effective with a 50-year-old woman and a 16-year-old girl. Oh. I just don't, that is like a super-powered Lothario. I, I have no doubt that, like, that's absolutely possible. But not only does he convince Miranda that sacrifices have to happen and that he's killed people and it's okay, but that she needs to die and it's okay. Oh, I know. She's she- not an idiot. <laughs> I mean, that- wouldn't you be like in the moment, like, oh, yeah, okay, Garfield, I, oh, I t- buy it. The- but then as soon as you walk away, you're like, 
What am I thinking? The two problematic things are her seeing the dead body and not saying anything. And then her being okay with being killed until a point where she's like, oh, I thought we were kind of playing a game, but we're not playing a game. Yeah. And then she's like, uh. And then we have action, Poirot. She's like frozen in the headlights. Uh, yep. uh And then whack. Yep. <laughs> action, Poirot. With that cane. He runs. Yes. Poirot runs and his, in his bad feet. His feet really hurt. His shoes are always too tight. Yeah. I mean, he wails on him. And you think, oh, that's it. No, 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 no. no. Okay. So a couple of things before we get to the end, because I think we should cover our, our important things and then cover the end. So one of the books that the brother is reading is Karnak. Mm-hmm. And this book is super interesting. So this book, it came out in 1928. It is a fantasy novel about a prehistoric man. Ooh. It's called Karnak the Life Bringer by Oliver Marble Gale. Okay. And it is, he got archaeologists from Harvard, uh, from Cambridge and Oxford to endorse this book. What do you think the importance of him reading that book is? Because everything else he's reading is like spooky and... I don't know, but... I want to read this book so much now <laughs> because it's it's this kind of idea that this one guy named Karnak in prehistory kind of did everything that allowed history to happen. Yeah. It's super interesting. I'd never heard of that book before. But obviously, that is a Mark Gaddis book. He has that book. Oh, he yeah, read yeah, that yeah. book. For sure. Totally a Mark Gaddis thing. He also reads a book called Matthew Hopkins, Witchfinder General. Matthew Hopkins, real guy, lots of witch Really was a Witchfinder General. Really. There's a lot of references to him in Good Omens. Yes. Poirot figures everything out, and then he's action Poirot. I have five exclamation marks <laughs> with action Poirot. And he then tells a story, which goes against his whole thing about murder should not be a story for entertainment. Before he tells the story, he lets the cops leave. Yes. Right? They don't really. No. But he lets them leave. Also, they're there in the garden waiting. They don't rush there and find him. They're waiting in the garden for for him to make a move that clearly marks him as murderer. So Poirot... What I love is Poirot takes the inspector into his confidence Mm -hmm. and he tells him the whole story. Because he doesn't need credit for it. And the inspector is like, okay, you're right. We're doing all this. But then Poirot's still first out to whack him. (laughs) Action Poirot. Like a baseball bat. Wow. Whack. So Poirot tells a story about a dark and stormy night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just brilliant. And you just have to watch Rowena's face the the whole time. Yeah. Because she's like, <laughs> whatever, what a quaint little story you're telling Poirot. Oh, wait a minute, maybe you know something. And oh. then her kids are looking at each other like, oh, shit, what, what did mom do? Olga sans ami. Do you know what that is? Olga had no friends? No friends. Just beautiful how he wraps French into it. Mm-hmm. And then he gets angry. The slaughterhouse. That is this town. Yeah. Absolutely. I think what makes him really mad is that none of it had to happen. And it's all because of greed, which is such a stupid motive. It's greed, impatience, and lust. Yeah. It's all on display here. Yeah. But all very, you know, they're they're not consequential motives. It wasn't because you were trying to avenge someone you loved or... 
self-preservation or, you know, defending someone. It, it's just wanton greed. Now, if you're a director or interested in, in being a director, there is maybe not a finer example of an explanation at the end of a mystery story with flashbacks here. Mm-hmm. I don't know the way the voiceover works, the way the flashbacks work. The editing is perfect. The editing is so well done. They show Rowena drowning Joyce. Yeah. Her holding, her face when she's holding Joyce in the water. Yeah. Is one of the scariest things in any Agatha Christie. But I do think the most brilliant part of what they do, and this is, fantastic acting there is a scene they call back to where rowena finds the gardener outside at night Mm -hmm. and what they say when you first see it and what they say when you see it the second time yeah are the same words but they are completely different because you see more of the scene in the flashback you see what happens right after it cuts away and that kiss is genuine yeah but gross it is it is everything like it's it is, yucky. It is repulsive and genuine it's, and passionate and like yuck. what I think about <laughs> about the gardener, why he does so well is he needs he knows how to fake genuine emotions really well. He is a psychopath. Because he doesn't love her here. And she is a sociopath. He knows that if he looks, acts passionately towards mm-hmm. her, he can get what he wants yep. from her. So that's all he's doing here. Yep. She throws herself at his feet. Yeah. And he says... Before she's about to kill somebody. I just like pretty things, he says. And he says, while she is at his feet weeping, he says, you're losing your looks. Yeah. It's cold. He is horrific. She is horrific. And she really only loses it when she finds out that she, he's been with other women. Yeah, not not that they've killed people. Nope. That doesn't bother her whatsoever because they ran on that together. Nope. But the fact that she's done all that and he's betrayed her and never cared for her, it's not like, oh my God, what have I done? It's, you don't love me? And Poirot says that he's gonna, he's told the police that, but there's no way Poirot knows that. But he knows that. He knows. And they've so- killed six people. And he knows that the gardener, I keep saying Garfield, Garfield, that Garfield is going to tell her what's what when he comes back. Oh, yeah. That he's he, that he's not ashamed. He has them all figured out. If you want to remember Garfield's name, just remember that Julian Ryan Tut is a ginger and so is Garfield the cat. Yes. <laughs> they both have orange hair. There you go. You can remember. Well, he, no, no, they kill children. They kill two children. Yes. Plus. He's ready to kill his own child. When he went in the flashback, when he asks her if she still has the receipt for the watch that they gave Leopold. You know everything about him. They're to, and she giggles about it. Yep. They're just horrible people. <laughs> They're so bad. So bad. Yeah. And then when you realize that Miranda is his daughter and he knows it. Well, he knows it and they know it. Well, sorry. Because he says the Rowena three of us doesn't should, know the it. three of us should go for lunch. Yeah. Like at that moment, he's like, I'm going to be her father now. No, I think that is to to Judith Butler. I think that is, I know she's my daughter. Yeah. It you haven't definitely told me is that. But I know. Yeah, you're right. Um, which is why she's like, I don't want you to go out of the house. You yeah. know, 
Because he's here. And so she sneaks away. Of course she does. Because what? But I I like that that Judith is very honest about how she fell for him. And then she immediately knew that he was not the person that he pretended to be. And so she got away from him right away. Yeah. And never wanted to see him again. She knows right away. Yeah. That he's going to wear a green man mask and try to kill her daughter. (laughs) Well, I don't think she knows that. but. I think she knew that Miranda was a good thing in her life, but he was never going to be a good thing in her life. He totally sees every single other person as a way to manipulate to get sex or money or attention. Oh, because he wants to buy a Greek island and design a garden on it. Yeah, I don't think he does. Well, he just came from Athens. I do do think he likes the garden, but he likes it because he can hide dead bodies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because that's where Olga is buried. Poor Olga. It's a great denouement. This is a a, a tale of terror. And, yeah, it is. And the denouement is Poirot and Ariadne and Butler Butler yeah. walking. And I immediately start to think, what's going to happen after the credits here? Because it's a shit show. Ariadne is addicted to apples and buttered toast. Yes. And in all the stories. Yes. In this one, it's a lot of apples. Yep, she's eating the apple, even though she's not. We're not going to have any to bob for if you keep eating them, Mrs. Oliver. Shut up. And we get new instrumentation of the Poirot theme here. Mm -hmm. They make it creepy. They make it creepy. You and I were, I love apples too. You and I were talking about how much I like caramel apples, and this is the best time of year to get them. But for some reason, the grocery store only turns bad apples into caramel apples. So you bite into it and it's like, this is the worst apple I've ever had. So guys, guess what he did? Right before we started recording, Mark made homemade caramel apples. Caramel from scratch, which I'm impressed by. I'm usually the one who does the cooking and I wouldn't try it. Sugar is hard. Mm, When we're done, I get to go eat one. Yep. Okay, after the credits. Or do you want to do, oh, we got to do Best Corpse because we actually have more than one body. Oh my God, there's tons of bodies in this episode. Nice corpse. I'm going to say Joyce. Joyce. She's face down in the water. She's great. Joyce, with a close second being Mrs. Whitaker's girlfriend. Yeah. She she did a good job too. And she's not she's not Leopold's breathing. floating. Leopold's really Ooh. good. Just, but I gotta give it to Joyce. Her little bumble butt sticking out of the oh, bucket. Poor Joyce. After the credits, everything goes to hell. Because oh. really, Olga's parents should get the Olga's entire estate. Olga's parents need to show up and be like, all of this is ours. Yes. <laughs> this and this, mine. <laughs> you out. <laughs> That's my best Russian accent. I can't do anymore. Well, they're Polish. I'm Babushka, you get out. <laughs> Polish. <laughs> because, like, the the rest of the Drake family is screwed. They have no Edmund source. and Francis are going to have to get a job. <laughs> and they're not job people. <laughs> well, Francis will find a wealthy man to marry immediately. I hope. Edmund may go back to university or something. something. <laughs> I think had they not arrived at the denouement the way they did, like having caught Garfield in the garden and then they all go in the house together, that Mrs. Reynolds really should be there. Yeah. Right? In any other story, she would be one of the people there because it was her kids who were murdered. Yeah. She should be there to find out who did it. She should be. So after this is all over, 
somebody's got to go tell her. Yeah, I, I think maybe Poirot and Ariadne are walking back from Mrs. Reynolds because they would have to tell her. No, they're walking out of the Drake estate oh, that's at the, the end. That's right. When they go through the gates, that those are the gates to maybe the Drake they're estate. Going, maybe they're going to talk to her. With Mrs. Butler? Yeah. Because Mrs. Reynolds may make a dramatic change. Yeah. She may become the new Mrs. Goodbody. (laughs) (laughs) She may become a psycho, right? Because now not, you know, you know, God claims his favorites, but that witch, Mrs. Drake, killed both of my children. Yes. And treated me the way that she did. Oh, and I'm going to go kill her children is a completely viable feeling for her. That may be like Halloween party part two. Yes. Electric boogaloo. (laughs) There would be no boogaloo about it. No. All right. No, no, no. Miranda. Okay. Miranda. Miranda's life is done. No. At best, she's incredibly gullible. Okay. No. At best, she's incredibly gullible and has to deal with the fact that her mother's been lying to her, understandably. Yes. But that still has to be I think she and her mother stay very close. But she still has to deal with her mother lying to her. But she also has to think, I came really close there. I was an idiot. I'm never going to be an idiot again. Telling my best friend this story got her killed. Yeah. She, the Miranda has got some therapy bills. Well, yeah, um, she shouldn't take responsibility for that. Still, I, I think that she probably would at least think that. She would feel bad. Yeah. Yes. She knows Joyce enough to know that if I tell her this, she's probably going to blab it. So that was a mistake. But the bigger mistake was not telling anybody else about the body. <laughs> That's a way bigger mistake. Poor Reverend. Contrell has to call Olga's parents. Yeah. And give them the, I got good news and bad news. Well, he's going to write him a letter. (laughs) I know you've been looking for her for a while. Good news, we found her. Bad news, she's dead. Good news. Good news, you have a giant estate. (laughs) There should be another story about the old Polish couple that moves out of their tiny village into the big country house. Because that's going to be an adventure. Wow. Are you ready for horrible movies? I hear you have some horrible movies, and I am ready for them. This movie is terrible. Ha, I bet Mark's seen it. I have two and a half horrible two movies. Two and a half. How do you have half a movie? Because there's one that is definitely horrible. Yeah. But rather than hoping you have, well, I'm hoping you haven't seen it. Okay. But not because I want to celebrate that I found a bad movie you haven't seen, but I'm actually hoping that you really haven't seen it because it's just that bad. <laughs> wow. Ooh. Okay. Bad no- movie. But I'm going to save that one for last, just okay. so you know. Yeah. Okay. Bad movie number one is from 2017. Julian Rhine Tut is in it. Okay. Tagline. The government's darkest secrets have just escaped. Okay. Okay. Here's the summary. The year is 1955. NATO and the Allied forces have been conducting secret occult experiments in a bid to win the arms race. Now they have finally succeeded, but what the army has unleashed threatens to tear our world apart. I showed you the trailer for this movie and said we should watch it as a woman who is the lead actress in it. I said (laughs) there's a woman in it. That's your best bet. Oh, like I remember shots from the trailer. There's bunkers. Oh, I I haven't seen it because it's on our list of movies to watch together. It's called 
The Risen. The Risen. With a Z. Yep. The Risen. There's also part two. Oh, there is? Yeah. It's got even lower scores. We need to watch those movies. All right. You didn't get that one. Hold up. That's a point for me. Are you ready for movie number two? Yes. Eric Sykes is in this, who plays the lawyer. Okay. Otherwise known as Voice of Teletubby. Yes. A Shakespearean actor takes poetic revenge on the critics who denied him recognition. Mm. 1973. It's not the dresser. No. No. Diana Rigg is in it. Diana Rigg is in it. Oh, I should see this movie. Vincent Price is in it. Oh, no. Theater of Blood. Oh, Theater of Blood. I've seen the poster. I think I've probably seen it, but I don't He kills all of his own, all the critics in Shakespearean death ways that are really bad. Theater of Blood. Okay. That, That has Mark written all over it. So the movie, the half movie. Yes. Is from 2015. Okay. And Julian Ryan Tut is in it. Oh, he's made some poor choices. I have to say, I'm sorry I even looked at the photos on IMDb of this movie. Oof. It's that bad. Yes. Ever imagined what life would be like if humans were apes in modern life? That is the portrayal in this deeply thought-provoking, mind-boggling film. What? Yeah, there are tags on IMDb yeah. that describe a movie and you can put them in. Yeah. Um, The first three for this one are urinating on fridge, arm torn off, all kinds of nudity. (laughs) Wow. And like... Noel Fielding is in this. You know, one of the hosts of the Great British Bake Off, he must deeply regret being in this movie. Like... I have no idea what this movie is. I'm so glad that you don't. No. It's called... Ah! (laughs) How many A's is that? Seven. Seven. And an H and an exclamation point. And that's exactly how I felt when I looked at the photos from the movie. Ah! Okay. And I can only imagine that's the reaction of anybody who's seen it. Ah! Do you think we should put the movie poster in the show notes? I don't know. I, uh, the poster is kind of innocuous. It's of a of a, a gorilla in a man suit, and he's unzipping his man suit to show that he's a gorilla underneath. Uh, that pushes all of my buttons. I don't. Oh, uh, just no. Wait. I know you, and I know you will look. Yeah. Just wait, and then you will be scarred as I am scarred by ah. <laughs> Well, you can find... I'm just taking two points. I'm not even going to take a half point or a point for that because I am so glad you've never seen it. (laughs) And and if you, listener, if you dare to watch it or if you have seen it, let us know because I'm never going to see it. So if it is as bad as we think or worse, let us know. And that is the true horror of Halloween. That that movie was made and exists. Uh. And people were excited about it and said, I have just completed something important. No, no, no. No, no, no. I think he plays a priest. Oh, (laughs) And that, my friends, is the Halloween party. Yes. With Poirot, with David Suchet in his awesomeness. What will we be covering next week, my love? Next week, we will be covering, uh, in episode 142, I can't believe it's 142 episodes. I know. The, the Pale, Pale Horse. Horse. Now, 
episode 143, which will be the viewer, uh, the listener's choice mm-hmm. episode, will be a live episode. I think maybe we should uh, explore making 150 a live episode, too. Yeah. So that will be on October 22nd. Let's be specific about which the live episode is October 22nd. The next episode is The Pale Horse. Let's be specific about which version. It is season five, episode one of Miss Mar- Marple. Yes. The modern Miss Marple. Mm-hmm. You put a screenshot up of it I'll so everybody knows which up. one it is. Yep. Because there's a lot of different versions, and yep. they're and they're all great. They're but all this great. is the one we're going to talk but it's, about. It's every good thing there is right now. It's folk horror-y and yeah, it's awesome. Yep. It's really really good. It is fantastic. You can find us on everywhere: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email. If you're listening to us on YouTube, please like and subscribe and hit the bell. Look all those places for a link to the poll so that you can have a voice in what we cover in that live episode on October. 22nd yes so we will see you next week for the next episode of spooktober yes bye maniacs bye maniacs (laughs) judith not judith um uh uh why do I always get her first name confused?